0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath, happy summer, happy all those good things. I hope you've been enjoying your break and hopefully doing a little bit of wilderness excursion yourself. There I stood at the base of the mount as the thunder roared and as the lightning struck. For those of you that have summited Half Dome in Yosemite before, you know there is only one thing standing between you and summiting that dome, other than immense fear. <laughs> those metal chains which you must hold on to for your very life. How many of you have climbed Half Dome before okay so many of you can relate to this experience and there I was as a nine or ten year old who had just hiked up Half Dome and I had just this last bit to go and yet the thunder rolled and the lightning strikes sadly that day I was not able to summit Half Dome, and my little heart was so heavy as I walked back down that mountain. Thus, for the next however many years, which I will not tell you, that burden (laughs) weighed in my heart. That was at the very top of my to-do list, of my bucket list. I wanted to summit Half Dome. The years went by and finally in 2019, so quite recently, I had my opportunity. So the event was scheduled. I would be meeting up with my parents and with some friends there in Yosemite. We would camp out and then a couple days later we would summit Half Dome. And I began the drive by myself from Loma Linda up to Yosemite. Now if you know much about me, At all, uh, you will soon learn that spatial ability is just not my strength. I would find my way nowhere if it was not for GPS. And so there I was driving after work and and it's getting dark and as I drive along, depending upon my GPS, it takes me on this little detour. And I knew we were less than half an hour or so from the campsite. And I took this detour, and this detour was a two-lane road that began to narrow as I progressed. So now it is pitch black. There are no other vehicles. There are no homes in sight. There are not even any deer. There's, There's just nothing. I'm in the middle of nowhere, pitch black. The only light that can be seen is that coming from my headlights. And I continued to drive down this road that once was a two-lane, has now become one. And with fear building within me, I thought, you know, let me just call my parents and say, you know, I'm not really sure where I am, but hope to see you soon. And I pick up the phone to call, and there's no reception. It's, It's toast. You know that every horrible story begins with the phrase, it was a dark and stormy night? (laughs) And that feeling was building within me. Spoiler alert, I lived. (laughs) But the road again became more narrow and I was just having this anxiety building within me, trying to remain calm as I went on my way. Finally, that road met up with another, the main road, that later, a couple miles down the way, brought me to the campground. And you know that incredible sigh of relief? I survived. About five minutes later, my parents also arrived at the campground. They had come down from Sacramento, and I began to share with them about my harrowing experience. And as I told about this road, my mom replied, well, that sounds exactly like the road we were on because we too were detoured after there was a car crash. And so we ended up going down this road and it, da, 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 and, the, and the story matched up. You see, the entire time that I was panicking, the entire time that this anxiety was building within me, the entire time I thought I'm lost, it's been a nice life. My parents were five minutes behind me. I thought, wow, if only I had known. If only I had known that in reality, I was not alone. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you today that we are not alone. Thank you for the journey that you have brought us through, the journey we will reflect on today. Heavenly Father God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing us by name, for knowing each desire of our heart. And Father, today we come to you because we love you, because we want to know you. And I pray that Jesus and Jesus only may be lifted up. May your Holy Spirit speak to each one of our hearts as you would have it. We thank you, Father, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The date was October 23, 1844. For some people who awoke on this day, there was a great sense of relief, perhaps of joy. Jeers and laughter rang out. But for others, to whom the morning light pierced through the cracks in their walls, it was a time of incredible disappointment. They cried out to God, were we wrong? What did we miss? We thought you would be here. We thought you would come. Like the disciples after their own dark night, the faithful believers returned to the scriptures as their guide. The darkness that they felt on that day mirrored that of humankind through a period known and predicted in the scriptures as the 1260 years. From 538 AD to 1798, a period commonly referred to and appropriately so as the Dark Ages. A time in which the knowledge of God, his character, and of salvation itself had been deeply dispo- distorted while the people suffered. But as the saying goes, the sun always shines the brightest after the rain. Light soon began to shine forth from the scriptures, but only to those who chose not to close their eyes. As Proverbs chapter 2 declares, please turn with me there. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 3 through 6. As King Solomon wrote, Yes, if you cry out for, un- for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I wonder how much gold we would find if we searched as deeply as we did during our morning devotions today. I was raised again in the Sacramento area and that of course is where the gold rush occurred in in California. Gold has value because it is rare. If it was found solely on the surface, it would soon cease to be a valuable element at all. But it is because it is hard to find, it is because it is precious that it has value. And so also God is saying, seek me not as grass, not as asphalt. Seek me as silver. Search for me as a hidden treasure. Pursue me. And as you do, I will be found. Continuing in Proverbs 4.18. The Bible promises that the path of the just is as the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. You know I value this promise so deeply because sometimes we like to think we've arrived. Maybe after you were baptized or you joined into the faith, you thought, "Okay, well, I've I've done it now. I studied all those 28 fundamental beliefs. I've arrived." But is that how the Christian journey goes? The path of the just it shines ever brighter. In fact through the eternal days we will continue to learn and to grow in our knowledge of God in the immensity that is our awesome God. This recovery of light out of darkness has come in many different forms. From the Waldensians of old who valued the scriptures so deeply that they were willing to risk their very lives. To John Calvin and and Martin Luther, powerful men of faith who restored a correct understanding of salvation. They uprooted the system of penance and religious slavery by boldly proclaiming that grace is through faith in Jesus Christ. To the Anabaptists, who recognized the importance of baptism by immersion, just as our Savior once did. To William Miller and the Millerites, who, though mistaken as to the time, restored the passion and belief in the advent of Jesus Christ and also began a deeper understanding of what the judgment meant and the special work that Jesus is completing in the sanctuary for us. To individuals like Rachel Oaks Preston, whose faithful commitment to the study of God's word is the reason you're sitting here today. Rachel is the one who shared with those early Advent believers about the seventh day Sabbath. A belief they then began to study and to see as biblical truth. And they too began to follow. The light of truth always shines brighter, it never ceases. It never says enough. The path of the just shines ever brighter unto and I would add throughout that perfect day. And yet no movement is immune to the effects of time. Often following a movement and particularly I'm focusing on the Advent movement, there are at least three stages that individuals experience and that groups experience. The first stage is you've learned about the mission. You're on fire for it. You're willing to risk everything for it. It is all encompassing in your life. And as that movement continues, it soon becomes clear that chaos will ensue if organization is not developed. And thus, in the second stage, organization, as is necessary, begins to occur. But as time progresses, stage three is often felt. Again, individually or perhaps corporately. Where we can lose track, we can lose focus on our mission. What is it that brought us into this message in the first place? What is it that inspired these individuals through time to remain faithful to God? We can lose track of our mission. And soon we're just going through the motions. We're completing the acts, but we do not know why? An interesting story is told of an incident that occurred in St. Petersburg, Russia, in the year 1859. You see, during the first days of spring, it was customary for the Russian court to promenade, to, to journey to the summer garden between Paul's palace and the Neva. During one such day, the Russian Tsar noticed that there was a sentry standing there, guarding a small piece of land. Out of curiosity, the Tsar asked the soldier, of what do you guard? (laughs) What here do you protect? And the soldier responded, I don't know. I am simply obeying orders. The Tsar now was confused as to what this guard's purpose could be. He called an officer and they sent for the guard, the, the guard or the captain of the guards, I mean to say. And they asked the captain of the guard, why is your sentry placed here? And he said, I don't know. That's what I had been ordered to do. And it turns out that this tradition had occurred for years for no clear reason. Soon an elderly gardener who heard about this chaos approached the czar and said, I know why the guard stands here. You see, his father had told him the story of how Catherine the Great had once dwelt in that region and she said she had been given a rose plant and it was just beautiful, but as it bloomed, people would come and they would pick the roses and she didn't want them destroying her plant. And so she had placed a century, a guard, to stand there and protect that rose. Come winter, come spring, come summer, the century stood near. But she and that rose had long since passed away. And now, over 50, 60, 70 years later, a soldier still stood, no, not over a rose, but over a piece of dirt. (laughs) And as I heard this story told, I couldn't help but wonder if there are times in our lives where we, too, do the same. Where we, too, may go through the motions, but we forget why. For some who forget both where we have come from and what our mission is, we may live aimlessly with no purpose in sight. But for others who do forget, we instead may change our focus. Looking instead to each other, to passions that are found not in the word. Councils in the church clearly illustrates this point on page 177. She shares the spirit of gossip and talebearing is one of Satan's special agencies to sow discord and strife, to separate friends and to undermine the faith of many in the truthfulness of our positions. Brethren and sisters are too ready to talk of the faults and errors that they think exist in others. And especially in those who have borne unflinchingly the messages of reproof and warning given them of God. We lose our focus on the mission and critiquing others becomes our mission. Aventus Home, page 441, it's natural for human beings to speak sharp words. Have you felt that natural tendency? Those who yield to this inclination open the door for Satan to enter their hearts and to make them quick to remember the mistakes and errors of others. Their failings are dwelt upon, their deficiencies noted, and words are spoken that cause a lack of confidence in one who is doing his best to fulfill his duty as a laborer together with God. Not only attacking each other, but attacking those who are in leadership. Critiquing them as well. Councils to the Church, page 177, continues, The children of these complainers listen with open ears and receive the poison of disaffection. Parents are thus blindly closing the avenues through which the hearts of the children might be reached. How many families season their daily meals with doubt and questionings? They dissect the character of their friends and serve them up as a dainty dessert. What are we bringing to Avon Hope Potluck today? <laughs> I love the wordplay that she created here, and and can you picture it? It's so, so easy for us to do, to come home from church and to dissect the characters, what we see, what we'd like to see. And yet, these effects affect not only us, but also those around us the children. And others. We so quickly lose our focus on how God has led us and where He would have us yet to travel. Instead, fixing our eyes on the perceived errors of our brethren, of our pastors, our leaders, our church, serving up our tofu steaks with a heaping side of criticism and fault finding. The devil, I fear, has retired his services. He no longer needs to be the accuser of the brethren. It's a job we too willingly fulfill. Yes, but you may be wondering didn't Jesus do the same? Wasn't he, in fact, the one who called others, the Pharisaical leaders, The Sadducees, you whitewashed tombs, you sons of the devil, hypocrites, blind guides, serpents. Jesus certainly did not mince words. And yet Ellen White offers a different perspective, and I think a more accurate portrayal of the manner in which Jesus approached these individuals. She writes, Christ himself did not suppress one word of truth, but he spoke it always in what? In love. He exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful kind attention in his intercourse with the people. He was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. He did not censure human weakness. He fearlessly denounced hypocrisy, unbelief, and iniquity. But tears were in his voice as he uttered his scathing rebukes. He wept over Jerusalem, the city he loved, that refused to receive him the way, the truth, and the life. They rejected him, the Savior, but he regarded them with pitying tenderness. And sorrow so deep that it broke his heart. Every soul was precious in his eyes. Desire of Ages, page 353. Every soul was precious in his eyes. Turn up in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 9, Ezekiel chapter 9 paints a judgment scene in which those who were present were going to be destroyed except for those who received a mark. Who were the faithful that were saved? Who on that day received the mark? Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 3 to 4. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go throughout the midst of the city, throughout the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on whom? on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within. Notice the mark was not placed on people that were furious, on people who had indignation. Who was it that the mark was placed upon? They're crying, they're weeping, they're sighing. Does that mean that they notice the faults? In others? If they didn't, they would not cry. But their response is not to say, Oh, ho, I got you. The war has begun. The response is instead to cry, to plead for these individuals too to experience the salvation of the Lord. How do we respond to others? By the grace of God, we too can respond with tears. Are there times in which we need to address false teachings and teachers, even within the church? Absolutely. But two important questions must first be asked. First, am I doing it in the spirit of Christ with tears? in my eyes and second in what does my heart delight do my conversations naturally drift to fault finding and criticism or to encouragement support and healing Ellen White put it this way in Our High Calling, page 185. We must look on the faults of others. Why? Not to condemn, but to restore and heal. Watch unto prayer. Go forward and upward, catching more and more of the Spirit of Jesus and sowing the same beside all waters. Yes, notice. Yes, look. But why? Why? so that we may encourage, so that we may support, so that we may reconnect with the mission that has brought us to this place. Today I am not sharing this message because I have or because I think I have arrived. I'm sharing this message because this is my heart's desire and my plea for God. For God to do this work and continue this work in me, in us, as a global movement. That we may continue to look to others to encourage and support. And in fact, that's the essence of Hebrews chapter 10, if you'll turn with me there. A passage we frequently recite. Hebrews chapter 10. we're going to look at the preceding verses that remind um, or give an understanding for why it is that we should gather and all the more as we see the day approaching. We are in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 23. The Bible calls us, let us hold fast, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Are you thankful today that God is faithful? And let us consider one another. Let's look at one another. Let's perceive, as it is translated here, one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of son, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's for this reason that I believe the topic we're discussing today is present truth. It is an Advent movement message. As you see this day approaching, gather together more. But why are we gathering together more? For what reason? To stir each other up to good works. To exhort one another. To encourage each other in the faith. That's why we're here. To refocus back on our mission. And how God can live that mission through us today. Today, as we have considered the journey that God has brought his people through from darkness into light, we are certain that God is behind us, but God is also before us. When he looks on his people today, what does he see? By the grace of God, may he see a people who are growing in both grace and truth, in knowledge and in love, in faithfulness and in mercy. And may he hear us sign and crying, not just for the absence of juicy gossip to share at the dinner table, but sighing and crying out of a love for his people, out of a love for the church, which is, in its essence, the person sitting beside you today. May we as Advent believers continue to grow. May we continue to walk in the light that God reveals to us. And through His grace, may we intentionally live out the heart of God by looking at others to encourage, to support, to strengthen, as by His grace we continue this journey with Him unto that eternal day. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I want to thank you so much for the example of Jesus Christ. A bruised reed he did not break. And so, Father, today we come to you. And Father, we confess our sins and our shortcomings. For the times where we have gossiped, or I have gossiped, where we have criticized, where we have torn down people instead of building them up, In your grace. And so, Father, we come to you because we know that Jesus is the perfect model and the perfect example. You have shown that to us through the church, but you have shown that to us in each one of our lives. The reason we are each here today is because of the grace of Jesus that never fails. And so, Lord, we are here today to celebrate the incredible gift and invitation that you have given to us. Lord, we get to encourage your children. And so, Father, I thank you for entrusting your children to us. And now, Father, as we continue to seek to grow in a knowledge and in grace, as we seek to grow more and more like you each day, Father, open our eyes that we may see how we can support and love each other. May we build each other up. And by your grace, Father, we look forward to that eternal day. When we can stand hand in hand, rejoicing around your throne of grace. May you keep us faithful unto that day is my prayer. In the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.